Everybody and welcome to the Sick Marxism podcast. I am your host Sam. This episode, as always, will be recorded by Rich. Thank you, Rich. Today, I am joined by Alex. Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks yourself. Doing all right. And then, of course, we have a special guest. We have Robbie, of course, the, oh. the man, the mystery, and the greatest purveyor of Tao this side of uh, the Atlantic. <laughs> uh, Robbie, how are you doing today? Tava, fellow Guaveso. Um, I'm doing all right. Uh, little bit tired but very ready to get on on the the show on the road so to speak farsight is good did that wake you up <laughs> i think you know i think that's like basically like his sleeper agent code like robbie now just like has to go murder somebody <laughs> probably you next person I, the next person i see wearing red white and black is just getting a neck snap <laughs> just just a real quick one uh, you're a dangerous man to have around antifa rallies you just start seeing farsight everywhere um no, no, it's not just that it's Farsight, it's that Farsight is good is the, that's the code word. Oh, damn, I just killed somebody else. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Sorry, whoever Robbie's going to kill. The the body count's going to be high by the end of this episode. I have a funny feeling. Okay, yeah, we're, we're very sorry, uh, the people of insert Robbie's place of, of living here, as to not get him doxxed. Um, Robbie, so before we get topping, um, introduce yourself. Like, uh, how are you introduced uh, into the hobby? Uh, what are you working on? You know. All that fun stuff. Well, um, I've only actually started fairly recently, but Warhammer's been something that I've kind of followed since high school to one degree or another. It's just I remember I think I bought like a single pack of Steel Legion for something like 40 quid or whatever around the time, which was like a month of my pocket money saved up for it, only to realize <laughs> that I wouldn't even be able to get like a small skirmish game on with that. So mm -hmm. it, it seemed a bit out of my price range until a few months ago where um, I was just stressed out and I thought it would be something nice to do, just sit down and start painting. And since November, I've gotten together a fairly big uh, force of Tau and uh, a bit of terrain along with the uh, Imperial Guard kill team. And I'm sort of working on all of those. I'm thinking about expanding the Guard into a thousand point army, which I just really need the Cadian Defense Force box for, but that is a lot of money and time. And then just slowly buying more figures for my Tau. I've got a broadside still sitting in its box because I, I want to make sure I paint everything before moving on. Oh, yeah. Now oh, I love the broadside box I've built. I mean, I have like three of those. They're they're an absolute joy to paint, so uh, you'll definitely have a good time with that. And so, uh, Robbie, like, unlike a few of us, like, you've actually played the game Warhammer 40k, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm pretty reasonable at it, though. It, it does feel like it comes down to dice more than my own skill sometimes when I win, but the, the hobby can feel like that already. Thank you so much, Robbie. Alrighty. So before we get onto the topic, of course, the main topic of today's episode is the Tau empire. But before we get onto those, uh, we're going to have a little brief discussion. One price increases again with basically no warning. Yay. Oh God. So just to give a little summary for anyone who is out of the loop, basically spiky bits and bell of lost souls who are normally, not the best sites or sources for this. However, basically, we're able to get a hold of a transcript 
where they are able to see numerous model ranges uh, are going to be going up significantly in price. Some by only like 50 cents or a dollar. Some by, and this is all US dollars, let me just mention. Uh, some are going up by $9 or almost $10 or $25. Uh, sorry, greater demon players. And it is, they've basically given us no warning from this. This was basically leaked by the retailers who Games Workshop were kind enough to give that beforehand. And this has been confirmed by local Games Workshop manager staff as well. So, yep, unfortunately, by the time this podcast comes actually comes out, the price increase will already have taken place because they've given us no warning whatsoever. And it's affecting both Age of Sigmar and 40K. And Alex and Robbie, I just want like your brief overview of kind of like how are you feeling about this price increase you know like did they give us enough warning well actually they haven't done any post about it whatsoever but uh, uh robbie let's start with you we're not live um i'm i'm planning to run down to the gw immediately after this and just uh grab whatever i can off the shelves before the panic riot sets in um yeah i i was literally unaware of this until you guys had me on uh, i literally found out about it about uh five minutes ago and it feels like it's a very bitter I told you so for everyone who rants about how great new GW is, having warned us a month ahead that they were going to extort us for more money on paints. Mm -hmm. um, turns out it's still the old GW and they're going to screw us on prices whenever they like, but that's capitalism. Yep, that is the unfortunate side. Now, there's going to be plenty of people who talk about this like, oh, greedy, greedy, greedy GW, greedy GW, when like we kind of realized that this is just kind of the natural state of capitalism. Um, Alex, how do you feel about this? Because a, a number of uh, AOS figures also went up as well. Like, this doesn't pertain just to 40K. Yeah, well, I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm a little bit disappointed about the reactions from uh, the host and guest. Um, I think you're really missing a trick by not seeing how this is an opportunity to make the figures you paint feel all the more valuable. I mean, just imagine it. With every extra fiver every figure you buy uh, costs you, won't it just feel that much better to finally accomplish? Won't it just feel more valuable? I think it's a win-win, really. Oh man, that that job at EA is really getting to your head, isn't it, Alex? That uh, corporate yeah, speak. obviously this fucking sucks. Um. <laughs> that that, that pride, sense of pride and accomplishment uh, path. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of tal, uh, Alex, on the list. Do you see anything that you that particularly affects you? I think a lot of your stuff because you like you mostly play Sanashi. so most of that stuff is normal. I don't think a lot of stuff. Oh, Damonettes are going up, which is going to well, suck. Yes. So um, I mean, most of this doesn't necessarily affect me. Um, Especially because the the models I play like the um are either the the things that were very recently released like the uh the the Keeper of Secrets which I'll probably finish working on um in twenty twenty three um but also like I'm a big fan of the Chaos Warriors which are fucking old sculpts and as you are uh, you know doubtlessly unsurprised to learn Chaos Warriors are not on the list of shit that has gone up um being like a model which is more than ten years old. Well, so are Kate. Well, the thing is, like, age is not really a problem because, like, both Orc Boys, uh, Damonettes, Bloodletters, Plague Bearers, all those models are going up too. They're in US dollars, they're going from 29 to 35 US dollars, which I'm going to imagine that that amount's going to be half. So it'll be probably be like around three euros or yeah, yeah. three pounds. I mean, like, it will affect me tangentially with stuff like the, the Demonettes and, uh, and others, but I mean. <laughs> It is just more annoying than anything, uh, especially when you see some of the new things like all the Blood Bowl stuff is just being pumped up a bit. 
these things are, are all incredibly new releases. You would think that they'd actually set on a price. And but as I think you were speculating, this is just like a knee-jerk reaction to the trade war. And obviously, they're making a, a significant profit still. But any small dent in that profit is going to spook shareholders, which they cannot afford to do. Apparently, yeah. I mean, the Keeper of Secrets is going up by twenty-five US dollars. Fucking really? Are you? Yeah. Are you, that, no, I'm. I told, that's what I'm saying. Every single Greater Damon is going up by uh, twenty-five dollars US dollars. So it's going to be like what <laughs> the fuck? I I thought that. <laughs> I thought they'd keep it as is because it was already like one of the more expensive ones. No, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, Riptides are going up a huge amount. Every almost every single town bottle is going up. Out the secret they were keeping was the price hikes. Yeah, yep. yeah. T- t- tomorrow, um, GW released a press statement saying, um, as part of our ongoing Slanesha release, we are embracing excess and uh, raising the prices on everything. That's exactly what they're doing. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> I'll say, Robbie, you better get to local GW as soon as this recording ends because all almost all the guard stuff is going up. The only thing that's not going up for guard is uh, Sentinels. Um, I think the only thing I need for, for them right now is the Cadian Defense Force. And if they raise the price on that, I'm looting something. <laughs> I don't. I, I bet you. Well, they might raise the price of that because those defense forces usually are exactly whatever the price it is to buy it individually. So uh, that's probably going to go up. Honestly, uh... that's a, yeah. Because the GW bundles always go up. The GW bundles are never actually a deal unless they're specifically like an apocalypse bundle or a battle force bundle or something like that. Like all that stuff is always to the T the exact price it is if you bought the kits individually. This will teach me for not learning math. It is, it is. Oh, you're in oh, good okay. company. I, I don't know what a math is. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that'll, be all that, <laughs> that'll be all the fun time. Uh, yeah, this is just... I, I'm not going to do greedy GW because this is just capitalism at work. This is just... Games Workshop has finally gotten a good taste of success after kind of the dark ages of 7th edition and now 8th edition is coming along really well. And this is obviously like a pre-Brexit t- uh, price hike, which Lord only knows what'll happen like once Brexit goes through. And then we'll have forty dollar Cadian boxes. <laughs> we'll have everything go up. It is kind of a great example though of just how capitalism really works. That uh, for all the argument of meritocracy, they're having a great time uh raising the prices of sculpts that they haven't touched in twenty years, thirty years. Mm. Um because they can. Yeah. They control the capital. So you know, uh if you're if you're into war games, uh Try to seize the means of production. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, by the time this podcast comes out, you won't be able to loot your local uh, retailer, or friendly local game game store, or GW or Amazon beforehand. But uh, yes, uh, unfortunately. So hopefully, you heard about this before. But this is just very frustrating, and it's and it's so hypocritical too. Like, of course, Games Workshop on the Warhammer community websites when they had to start collecting in the paint sense, as you mentioned, Robbie, that they were like, oh, you know, we want to give you guys a, a good amount of warning because, you know, this is important and we don't want to broadside anyone with anything. And here it is. It's like, oh, yeah, no post on Warhammer community. Like, Spiky Bits and Bell of Lost Souls are being more informative, <laughs> informative than Warhammer community at this point. So it just sh- it just goes to show that it's the exact same game workshop you've all come, the one that was endlessly parodied, the Matt Ward era, all those eras. At Games Workshop, capitalism is gonna capitalism, and we're just stuck in a hell world. And now you have less money to work with to get your f- favorite plastic miniatures. 
hey, now we're stuck in a hell world with one more Primaris Lieutenant, and that is something I'm going to fight and die for. Oh, that is a perfect transition to our next little bit that we wanted to talk about. So, Games Workshop posted a fun little video about, oh, what shall we say? More Primaris Lieutenants. Yes, uh, <laughs> they were talking about, oh, how much they love it. Doing like a little self-parody of themselves. Now, Alex, I understand this might go like a little bit over your head because you're not as too familiar with 40k setting, but... Oh, I know that they, there's been like a endless release of, of Primaris Lieutenants, so much so that they already fucking did this joke when they unveiled Abaddon. Exactly. It's, it's the same joke already. Now we're just doing it for the umpteenth time. Like something that started as a Reddit joke, which if, if Reddit or Grimdank start joking about, you know it's already beaten to death if they've managed to turn that into a joke. Unless it's the Sigmarks and Reddit. We, we, we do not beat jokes to death there. Um, oh, I say oh, yeah. after posting my 68th uh, female space marine meme. Oh, no, yeah. The Sigmarxism subreddit is uh, very wholesome. Uh, we definitely do not have inside jokes or beat anything to death. Right, Robbie? Uh, yeah, and uh, Alex is going to have to be banned after this for saying that female space marines in any context are a joke. Um, we are completely and absolutely serious about that. There should be no male marines. Oh, <laughs> I was not implying anything of the, of the sort. Well, um, yes. No, 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 no cis male marines. Um, no cis male marines. No het marines of any sort. Uh, Very good. They have to be ace or gay and actively doing crimes. Always be doing crimes. Exactly. Anyways, so space <laughs> marines. <laughs> uh, you were starting to cut out a little bit right over there, so it sounded particularly hilarious when you were doing that. Anyways, so this joke is basically about an overenthusiastic guy who wants nothing but primaris lieutenants. Well, of course, another guy is beating the joke of how some people say lieutenant, some other people say lieutenant, which in itself is not a very funny joke, while kind of hinting at new multi-part kits for Space Marines to come out. And of course, while making fun of about how many primaris lieutenant kits that they release, they are, of course, releasing a new primaris lieutenant kit <laughs> on top of all this. And it's kind of... It's kind of defeating the whole purpose of satire. Um, Roger Ebert always has my favorite quote about this. It's like, just because a turd is self-aware doesn't mean it's not a turd. This is just kind of more like the new GW sheen uh, coming along. And just kind of be like, hey, we're different. We realize we're self-deprecating, but it's just the same old shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like someone wedges you and says, hey, wasn't that a bad joke? And it's like, yeah, but you still fucking wedged me. And I know that this is a bad analogy. I was just... I don't think there's completely uh, there's a complete parity between releasing endless copy pasta models and wedging someone. But um... I think I think that's actually something that uh, has been clicking with me. That I was trying to come up with an analogy of like it's like drinking while joking about the fact you have a drinking problem. But even that feels more justifiable in that like you. Ha some people have bad habits or these impulses that they'll they'll drive at and they'll try to feel better about this. This is something that passed through a board and they keep on doing and they realize there's nothing to win here. Like even if you want a couple alternate sculpts sculpts of a lieutenant or lieutenant whatever have at it, but it's at like 10 now like you can literally have an apocalypse scale army with and fill up all your detachments possible with lieutenants and still probably not double up on a model. Yeah, <laughs> Just the idea of the boardroom sort of all kind of uh, chipping into this meme made me think, uh, uh, you know, like <laughs> broke uh, PewDiePie sort of self-made meme review. 
and then work a corporate shareholder pitch meme review. <laughs> but this bespoke corporate shareholder meme review while parodying that it's a corporate shareholder meme review. Yeah, oh, the idea. And that somebody has to design this. So this is like the 10th, 11th, 12th. I, I can't keep track of all, is, how many individual ones we have. I mean, like, let's I at least... And what I what I considered is that maybe they had every designer in house do like a competition with the idea that the best one would be made into a primaris lieutenant, but they've all been so stuck on it they couldn't pick a winner, and so now they're just dipping into the free content and turning every one of the samples into a different primaris uh, marine. That free exploitation isn't that how polygamy was invented when it was when they just had like a composition and someone couldn't choose <laughs> yeah but i mean like to be fair to 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 gw um the version of this joke which did actually land and i know it gets kind of um it, i'm i'm loath to give credit to uh the, the the company making this joke and it working but did anyone see the um the stormcast trailer where it's um and the idea is um, one, one Stormcast says to Sigma, Sigma, you can't just solve every problem by releasing a new chamber. And then he just replies, the hell I can't, and does the, uh, you know, slap the button meme type thing. <laughs> I'll admit, it, it, it was mildly amusing. Um, less so now that the same joke has been repeated ad infinitum, because that's how it works. Exactly. You gotta, as as any meme, you have to beat it to death. Uh, in 40k, it was cute the first time they acknowledged it with Abaddon. It was like it was like ah, it's a it's a little thing. But now that they're probably going to do this with every single Primaris release, be like, ho ho, isn't it funny we release a new Primaris lieutenant while we're releasing a new Primaris lieutenant? It's just gonna be like I'm just gonna uh, bash my skull in and just throw my Space Marines against the fucking wall. I, I heard you like lieutenants, so I released a lieutenant inside your lieutenant so you could release lieutenants while releasing lieutenants. Mm. It's going to happen. It probably will. Like, they, they'll probably release, like, an actual lieutenant start collecting box or something like that. Because, like, that's been joked about infinitely. It'll be like, haha, isn't it funny? By the way, this is $100. <laughs> Just, but we're releasing it tomorrow. Buy it, buy it you shitheads, because we know you'll buy this same intercessor monopose vanilla bullshit <laughs> that we keep shoving out. Oh, good. Yeah, it's just disappointing. Like, this is like two very frustrating things kind of coming out from Games Workshop where you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, why do I even do this hobby sometimes? It's just kind of amazing to me that it, it feels like it, it's showing a level of contempt here almost. So just like, huh, huh, you know how we keep bringing out that thing that none of you really want anymore because you have like eight? Guess what we're doing? Mm. On the other hand, uh, making everyone a lieutenant does destroy hierarchy. So who's to say if this is a good thing or a bad thing? That's, after all, uh, some all lieutenants are equal, but some lieutenants are more equal than others, as the classic thing goes. Make Robert Gulliman a lieutenant. I mean, they already made Marnius Calgar a lieutenant, so... Yeah, I mean, Gilliman, oh, really? is, is, isn't Gilliman the lieutenant of the Emperor, really? Oh, I, I don't fucking know boring Imperial sort of command structures. <laughs> I'm not interested enough to know about the real army, let alone space friends. <laughs> I like the I like the fighty bit, not the the, the bureaucracy. Well, I I think the only way for this to climax is to just go into full catch twenty two mode and release lieutenant, lieutenant, lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. Great, yeah, I, I rate that so much. <laughs> yeah, and it, um, yeah, st- hey, hey, they're gonna make a stormcast eternal lieutenant. Just you wait. Uh, um. 
please someone yeah. stop me before I start ranting about the uh, the, the the tragedy of the um, the current H- um, not HBO uh, is it Amazon the uh, Catch Twenty Two uh, miniseries. You know what is a lot better than dying pointlessly for a uh, fascist empire fighting another fascist empire? Dying pointlessly for the Tau. That is a good segue, and that's what I was trying to get to. Alrighty. <laughs> so enough depressing talk about what a what a terrible hobby we've all gotten ourselves into. It's like sad, sad posting on Maine right now. Um, t- uh, <laughs> Robbie, it's like, who are the Tau Empire for the uninitiated? So they're the faction in 40K that sort of drew my eyes. Um, it's not so much that I always need to f- play the good guy, but uh, they're the only ones that kind of attempt to do that. And for for me and to my eyes, obviously, uh, there's going to be a lot of dispute on Sig Marxism, but they are the ones who stood out as kind of being a little bit more sympathetic and distinct from what felt like either fascist empires or mindless drones in one way or another, or some combination thereof. Okay, and why do you think they are the most sympathetic? After all, we have, like, you know, humans and elves, and, like, you know, we're, we're so familiar with humans and elves, that kind of dynamic sort of deal. Why are the Tau Empire, like, so sympathetic for you? The Tau Empire is interesting to me because the, it, in a lot of ways they feel a little bit leftist, even if they're kind of an alien society. And it's something that... Uh, it is in some ways more interesting than if they just straight out made uh, straight up made space communists or something. They they have kind of a unique society and a unique way of working, while still uh, kind of hitting a few of the tropes that uh, I think draws a lot of leftists towards them. Mm. Yeah, and to kind of give like a little origins of the Tau sort of deal. Um, they were, I mean, technically their ideas are like they're the newer faction on there. Um, they basically. The Imperium actually came across the Tau before they even became the Tau Empire. They were just, you know, uh, basically kind of like hunter-gatherer sort of phase, sort of deal. They were like, okay, whatever. This is there. There's nothing really for us to gain. But the Tau Empire being led by the ethereal caste, which is this kind of mysterious, all-knowing race about there that has kind of like led the Tau people into this like age of enlightenment, this age of reason, this age of superior technology, that kind of deal which has raised them from hunter-gatherers to space-faring, intergalactic, mech-suit-building uh, suits in basically like in like half the time span it took for humanity to, to reach the same point. So, and it's very important to kind of mention, and let's get this joke out of the way, yes, the Tau have a caste system. So we have, everyone goes like, oh, they're commies, ha-ha. But it's like, oh, they can't be commies because they, they have a caste system, ha-ha-ha. All right, we got that joke out of the way. So we have the air caste, which are kind of more dedicated to air, uh, air, you know, spaceships, flying, that kind of stuff. We have the Earth cast, which are the builders. Then we have the Fire cast, which are the warrior class. We have the Water cast, which is more kind of dipl- diplomacy, um, speaking, that kind of deal. And then we have the Ethereal cast, which is sort of above all the other casts, which is kind of like the leader cast of all that kind of stuff. I think above is a bit of a misnomer here. Like, it's it's interesting. Uh, the Tau Empire was kind of introduced in 3rd edition when I think... Uh, GW was deliberately trying to move 40k away from its fancy roots. Um, mm. The squads disappeared around the same time, uh, along with a few other less well-known species like the Zotes mm-hmm. uh, that tied it a little bit more into the fantasy setting. And I, I think that is part of what uh, gave them a very negative reception at first. Within sure. that, 
Yeah. Uh, within that, though, I, I think it is worth noting that you kind of had uh, the history of the Tau is a little bit probably looks kind of like uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, which is a bit more recent. But you have uh, you have all these very different cultures and peoples to the point where they they might have been like distinct species. I don't think it's super clear, but there's some old lore about uh, Aircast apparently having vestigial wings that used to work. Yeah, they were definitely at least different tribes, like at the minimum. Yeah, uh, and they they had very profoundly different ways of life. And the the way I I think is interesting is Lorne explicitly says that uh, the ethereals don't view themselves as leaders or worthy of a greater amount of respect. Like I, I think there is a great leftist spin in that. In that uh, they they're more organizers between. Uh, very different cultures under their banner, as opposed mm -hmm. to actual leaders. That uh, they they do the organization, and they do have authority, but it's not uh, it's not something that's uh, derived purely from the fact that they're aethral, so much as the fact that the role of the aethral is to learn how to organize and coordinate between these radically different cultures. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a very fair point. I, I think a lot of the hierarchical nature of the Ethereals does kind of come from the lack of imagination of the writers. I think that if the writers, <laughs> again, shit on Games Workshop writers, and this isn't even a book review, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think they can imagine a world without a hierarchy sort of deal. So, well, like, like you said, the Ethereal cast like, don't see themselves as leaders, and that was like a bit of a mistake on my part. But the, the ethereal cast is always kind of fallen back to like their authority does feel like in the stories that they've done and in the codexes it kind of does always fall back to usually the ethereals like the fire cast are usually consulting with the ethereals the water cast are consulting with the ethereals etc etc and i think that the tau if they were taken into like the, with under the right authorship could actually be like a truly leftist faction and let unless maybe like a middling gray one uh what do you think guys think about that uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's something where there's definitely a Sig Marxist spin on it that uh, we we do like to interpret them through a deliberately leftist lens, which isn't always shown. Uh, it's something where I think the authors are really inconsistent on it. That on the one hand they do consistently really emphasize that Tao society says everyone's equal, but in the same breath it'll say that there is a certain amount of respect afforded to the ethereals and high-ranked fire cast members and it's never real that tension's never really resolved i i do think it's interesting that in all the time we've had the tau we haven't heard of anything like a corporation or profits or anything like a fiefdom it seems like the ethereals do really kind of live with the other casts and work with them really closely and they they are kind of they're kind of a super water cast in its own way that they they sort of do the diplomacy between all the other casts, including the cast that does diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it would be really interesting that I, I wish that the writers would kind of do like an actual de design of like a Tau city. And I think it's kind of kind of comes to a lack of imagination that we are always coming from stories from the fire cast or the ethereals because it's a sort of great person's history that. A lot of people, especially, you know, conservative and liberal kind of perspective, it's you're always getting this perspective from the great ones, you know, the great leaders, like a founding fathers type of figure, or you're hearing it from the generals, you know, like we have Commander Pure Tide, Sh Shadow Sun, and Farsight, who we'll get to later. And I, I just kind of wish that there were more great characters, you know, from the water cast, the earth cast, the air cast, that we would, we would get all these different perspectives on. So that way we're not 
while of course the it's yes it's the grim dark future the thing uh this is kind of like what we were saying our complaint with the imperium novels is that we we want a non-warrior perspective we don't we don't want like a great person's perspective yeah sorry in, in some ways i think um it's right to say that it's a more inconsistent and um narratively sort of unresolved tension uh with specifically the tau empire because while you can certainly ask for more kind of novels dealing with remembrances and all the kind of villains of the uh the imperium uh it, it's true that it's a explicitly um uh military focused like that is the raison d'etre of the imperium it is fighting it is conquering and so uh in, in in some ways, the the society is really well embodied by the the tabletop um, hierarchies and characters. Whereas, you you're literally only seeing um, one quarter of Tau society on the tabletop, i.e. the the mm-hmm. firecast, um, occasionally inferior, and then um, all the kind of the auxiliaries, like the crew or the uh, the Guevessa that might help them out. You're not seeing the rest of the society. So in a weird way, um, the, the game is uniquely unsuited. To through um, through kind of miniature design and uh, rules is uniquely unsuited to communicate the identity of this faction because it's so not uh, revolving around uh, fighting. Obviously, they conquer, and we'll get to that later. But it's not their raison d'être. Right. Technically, I can point to the fact that there was uh, there's there's been a few air castings. Obviously, both the ships themselves, and I think there was like a single down pilot model which gets converted and shown around a lot. Yeah, the Forge World one. It was something really, it was something really disappointing to me looking them up and then finding out that the models only really reflect like a quarter of their society. There's some stuff buried in the lore about like a few innovative Earth cast inventors who throw together a lot of the suits who make weapons of war. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it's something where it's obvious that the lens of the the game and by extension a lot of the lore surrounding it is focused on their capacity to make war. And it's it's a little bit interesting that uh, the fire cast tends to be cast as a very combative uh, tribe or cast culturally, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that uh, it, you see focused on this uh, code of fire. Which, if you read into the eighth edition manual, it looks like something that the Aetherals just the Ethereals just made up so they would uh, stop trying to kill each other and other people until they got to space, that it was just something to distract them with honor, which, I mean, that that seems pretty, that seems like a pretty chill idea on the ethereal side. <laughs> All of Donald Trump supporters up into a drone video game and tell them that they're they're bombing some third world country. And <laughs> Do the new plan, give every Trump supporter a VR headset. Oh, man. <laughs> Buy every single one an Oculus, uh, an Oculus thing. <laughs> Like, like an Ender's Game type book, but it t- the twist is at the end, they're not actually killing aliens. I, I would absolutely like, and people say the Tau aren't the most woke faction. Like they they've learned how to compromise. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something we need to also talk about. Of course, while we have all these unique casts, uh, the other thing that makes the Tau very unique, especially amongst all the other races that exist in the 40k, especially up to the point of third edition, is that they were the one of the few ones that didn't actually just like outright annihilate any species that wasn't their own. Like we have the Crute, we have the Vespids, and as Robbie's mentioned, the Guevesa, which if for those who are not familiar with that, are basically human recruits who now believe in the greater good. And this already just like alone makes the Fowl incredibly distinct from them, that they aren't always seeking to annihilate, they aren't aren't always seeking to dominate. The The only ask is that basically that they're all willing to contribute to this one cause of the greater good. 
which I think is a really nice feature to them. And I kind of wish that the model line as well as the lore would expand on this. Uh, Robbie, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so much so. Like, it, it's something that really drew my eye of, uh, again, I, I felt for the humans in the setting, but I was like, oh, hey, look, a, a at least less totalitarian empire that won't just murder everyone different on first sight. So I, I've made a good few Guevesa models myself. I I want to look at some of the other more weird, obscure auxiliaries. Like, it looks like if you dig into the lore, you can pretty much take any of the disused non-human factions from Warhammer Fantasy, slap a Tau shoulder pad on them and call them an auxiliary. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's yeah. basically triads, there's pancake-shaped polar bears that are really important for... I, some reason. I've seen Lizardmen auxiliaries uh, on the 40k subreddit. Those are Talarian dog soldiers, and I'm super excited to make one of those uh, sooner or later, once I finish painting all the stuff I already have. Yeah. But, yeah. Now, Al- Al- Alex, how do you feel about that? I mean, like, through your limited contact, it's like, do you th- do you think, um, you know, that the tower is so willing to adapt? Do you feel that it makes them uniquely distinct, or it kind of just, like, you know, more of the same, because it's all, as the Redditors would argue, brainwashing under the greater good? Well, no, no, I, it's one of the aspects that i really like um it's always kind of um uh, wholesome in a but it, it may be like in a more actually satisfying way than that because that just implies a kind of like candy floss oh yeah this is nice um it is cool to see uh within narratives of of like immense conflict and kind of uh you know um and and risk to, to see um societies which uh in, in like these dystopian worlds make an effort to to be um not just multi-ethnic, multi-species, and like a real coalition of, of mm. different peoples. And yeah, like um, I I think because I, I assume that the worship of the emperor would just be disallowed in the in the Tao Empire, but I think Robbie, you you mentioned something to me which was uh to the uh contrary. It's something where it's slightly more obscure lore. I don't think I I've read the source myself, but essentially they do allow free worship as long as it's compatible with the greater good. Which, for the most part, uh, I I can argue in a bit more detail going down, but it seems like as long as you aren't uh, genocidal about it, you can view the emperor of humankind affectionately. Um, I I stumbled into an excerpt from a book which uh, had a former inquisitor essentially argue that his vows were to preserve mankind, and he thought that humanity had a better shot under... uh, Tauva than or the greater good than uh, under the Imperium, where things do seem to be in a constant state of decay, civil war, and fascism. So, I believe that was under the Damocles book. Yeah, it was one of them. Uh, Blades, I think. It's it's interesting as well. Like for all the talk about brainwashing, I, I was really surprised going into the Tau lore because I've had to defend them a lot from. Uh, both other Tau players who might prefer a different faction that we'll get into shortly, or non-Tau players. I, I was surprised to see like a lot of the auxiliaries aren't really servants of the greater good. There, there is the option to sort of join the Tau Empire and like enter into their worlds and stuff. But for the most part, their diplomat casts aren't super interested in assimilating, conquering, and brainwashing, as it's so often put, as just having a healthy trading alliance and making sure anything that's, I mean, strategically making sure that if they need something essential there, they're able to get it either by diplomacy or force. They're they're definitely willing to do what they need to to survive in a very brutal setting. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, uh, Torellian dog soldiers, the crew, 
most of them seem like Vespids. Ves- Vespids less so. I, I was going to say the the two I listed there seem to basically have their own society that just trade with the Tau, and then uh, if they want to fight, uh, they can hire themselves off as mercenaries. Whereas the Vespids seem like they're a little bit more integrated. At very least, they use a lot more Tau technology and seem to be a bit more built into the Empire. So it seems like there's an interesting level of what you are as a satellite, as opposed to the uh, more ominous, uh, they'll come in, stick everyone with uh, hypnosis or pheromones or whatever, and convert you over to their side ominously. It's, I mean, there, there's definitely some ominous undertones to them, but it's a lot more nuanced than uh, tends to be presented by people throwing out the memes. Mm. Now, of course, you brought up the huge tension between the greater Imperium fanboys and the Tau Empire. Uh, probably, I would say, no other faction other than leftist itself uh, is more reviled than the Tau Empire. Um, Alex, I kind of I want to hear your thoughts about why do you think you know, Grim Dank and larger Warhammer 40k subreddit, you know, we get Tau Bad, uh, Tau Suck in Melee. It's all the all the usual memes that have just been beaten to death, and even though we have to deal with on our own Sigmarxism subreddit and Discord and that kind of stuff, like, why do the Tau, why are the Tau so reviled? Why are they so hated? And why, God, won't they shut up? As a Tau player, let me interject very briefly. Uh, I can attest to experience I have been beaten to death a few times. It is very unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that's quite prevalent, and it's funny because um, I argue plenty with Robbie about um, considering other factions as equally, if not um, slightly more applicable to to be uh, assimilated for leftists. And then it, it's one of those like um, tanky and anarchist memes where they're constantly fighting, um, sort of in each other's company. When you wander into any chud zone, and suddenly the the insults start flying. I am a hundred percent solidarity because yeah, you, you do get these. As you say, lots of kind of pretty hacky, um, bordering on mean-spirited jokes about the town. I think, yeah, there's several reasons. I mean, one probably being, I know that it's it's kind of, that they are at this point quite well established, but they're still one of the newest races. And um, it, it's fair to say they are one of the least grim dark. And there are plenty of people who are just wedded to this kind of incredibly oppressive gothic tone. So... For there to be any kind of um, a faction that presents a a slightly more positive uh, view on that, especially if you're already like a uh, ride or die Imperium, and and you no longer have the excuse that the Imperium are the best of a bad bunch, because <laughs> there's definitely a place out there which is better, but perhaps they don't have the same kind of cool manly man aesthetic that you like, and that's what uh, probably annoys quite a lot of people. I'm sure there's lots of it too. There's probably some Freudian stuff in there too. Um, who knows? <laughs> uh, Robbie, why, as I've seen from your posting history, you've got quite a lot of experience of uh, dealing with Tau bad posts or Tau bad users. Um, Robbie, wh- I want you to get deep psychological here. Uh, pull out your uh, psychology degree and why are the Tau so hated? Well, ultimately, it comes down to the mother. Um, <laughs> Sorry, uh, the Freud thing had me on that. Um, I, I'd say, like, I think there is something to be said about the fact that Warhammer is very much sort of the deep lore and deep memes. That I, I think some of it is built into the fact that the Tau came in third edition and wiped out 
squats, I think, would be the biggest one, and a lot of other factions, and came with a tonal shift that I, I think some people somehow are still kind of holding on to that, and it's it sort of not necessarily the immediate reaction, but the the anti-Tau memes have sort of passed themselves down and gotten a little bit more diluted. Oh, I have no idea what you mean by like an angry reaction to a sudden shift in, um, as an AOS player. I, I have no clue what uh, no, I, I, I know the fan base is normally very open to changes and radical mix-ups, but you have to understand the Tau are the exception here. Mm-hmm. I would say as well, bringing up Gothic and recalling the Gothic uh, Marxism episode, I, I think there is something interesting in it. I, I made a fairly elaborate post around uh, before or after that came out, where I, I detailed that I think a lot of the Xenos look a little bit uh, like how a conservative might other uh, leftist or left-leaning factions with the, the Tao coming, being coded very sort of commu- orientalist communist. And I, I think that gets a lot of resentment as well. A, a are, very big fear of the East. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who are get drawn into the 40K aesthetic, which is very kind of, we'll say right-leaning <clears throat> Nazi. And there, there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of people who get drawn into the aesthetic of the Imperium who are able to feel sympathetic and look towards the Tau, which are slightly more left-coded in a positive way. And I think that leads to a lot of tension. And then, yeah, there's just a lot of people who play the Imperium and want to think that they are, at very least, the best of a bad bunch. Oh, but Robbie, don't you, I, I, you haven't seen all the, the posts. It's like the Imperium are the good guys. Uh, they're equal opportunity fascists. Uh, they don't care if you're black, you're purple, or you're you're yellow. Um, you know, they accept men and women equally. Well, no, they, they do care if you're purple. They do care if you're purple. That's right. But they're equal opportunity offenders, just like my favorite show, South Park. They offend everyone. I'd tell that to all the women who aren't allowed in the Space Marines. <laughs> exactly. All right, yeah. Yeah, I, I think yeah. There, 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 you could make like a huge Freudian argument because, like, I'd say like one of the most ones other than like posts that are just like I fucking hate the Tau, which there's a surprising a lot of memes which are just like I fucking hate the Tau, <laughs> like just like mask off, just hating the Tau entirely. Uh, I think a big part of that does come from like the sem- semi noble bright tone that they come from, and there's a big Freudian thing because it's like Tau bad in May, like is the big meme, and of course there's plenty of drawings where it's like a marine, you know is uh, getting punched by a Tau fire warrior and he doesn't get affected. And there's definitely like this like sort of supremacy that they the, the Imperium players feel. That's like, oh, because they play a space marine, they're actually like big, tall, and super genetically strong, just like an actual space marine. And pe- Tau players are just like meekly and weak sort of deal. Kind of like how fascists see themselves and like the meek leftists. Well, well, this is kind of the ironic thing because you'd think that um, not to stereotype war gamers here, but uh, it, a fight, a fight between like um, extremely jockish, big sort of ubermensch people who are completely unreasonable, and like these the wily, intelligent, uh, tech-oriented, long-range fighters who will uh, patiently pick you off uh, from a distance. Uh, and you think that there would be this kind of geek solidarity with with the latter, but I guess. It must be projection on the part of, of the Tau haters thinking that they're the former. Yeah, they, they want to be the jocks that uh, shut them into lockers. But honestly, I think that the bullies didn't do enough jobs and they should have kept them locked in, the, <laughs> locked in their lockers. I am totally willing to make a chairman out of the first person 
or the first person to prove that they shoved Ben Shapiro into a locker. I'm sure there's lots of proof out there. There's a few potential chairmen or chairwomen who have probably done that to him. And if you provide us proof, we you will be at the forefront of the revolution. Speaking of bullies shoving people in lockers, uh, shall we move on to the most uh, jockish of the Tau? Uh, um, the farsight problem. A certain, yes, a certain far-seeing fellow. What do you? What is your opinion of 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 Mister Farsight, Robbie? Um, I I have a more nuanced take than I usually end up being stuck doing because a lot of I think. At least a solid like twenty percent of the posts on Sig Marxism are Tau uh, ethereal uh, fans of the mainline Tau faction versus Farsight fans. Um, yeah, it's it's somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, it's it's something like that. And so because I, I play the main faction, I, I spend a large amount of time just dunking on Farsight. Um, but there's there's kind of an interesting history, and it's being a little bit more developed. I think originally in uh, third edition he was introduced as sort of a rogue commander who felt like he hadn't been supported enough and so he tried to create like a metal gear solid utopia for the fighting class right um yeah sort of very very solid snake uh, i i think early on there was a few restrictions on what he could take which is which included like obviously ethereals some of the fancier stuff and auxiliaries which some people have used throw at throw at him uh throw at the far side enclaves that they're inherently racist which isn't necessarily the case i think lore is steering it back in that direction but mm. uh it it is interesting like uh, i think in some ways he was kind of made to appeal to the imperium fans who thought tau were wimps and wanted to punch and cut stuff because the far side enclaves have always been a little bit more about stabby stabby which um that's fair enough. There, there's definitely a lot of people who enjoy swords, but uh, because of that, yeah, it's kind of the Tau for people who hate Tau a little bit sometimes. Um, I do think the story is interesting. Like, uh, if you take a more nuanced take at it, it does feel like Farsight in his own way is kind of the fail-son prodigy that uh, he he went on, he was essentially given a blank check and a huge force to fight the Imperium, but... Uh, mm. And the Orcs. Yep. He, well, I think originally he was uh, expected to reclaim the lands that were lost with Damocles, but mm -hmm. he hated the orcs so much that he actually turned the forces on them. Yeah, he hates the orcs so fucking much. <laughs> Pretty much. He, he threw away the possibility to reconquer these worlds just because like, he, he, he didn't like greenskins. Yeah, he just hates them. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Uh, the, the orcs are not exactly... Uh, what I like for what I would want to live with as my next door neighbors, but at the same time, it it just kind of made things worse. So at the at the end of all of it, he just hunkered in with the people who defected to him and aided his own little society. Which uh, it, there is some gray spot as to whether the casts are a little bit more free there in some ways, but we really don't know. And something that I probably should have gone into earlier, we don't really know how the casts work that much. Like, uh, water cast is vaguely cast as, <laughs> vaguely um, presented as the people who handle diplomacy and word talk, including sort of more theor maybe more theoretical science, maybe medicine, definitely diplomacy and trade deals and stuff like that, and bureaucracy. But uh, the, the exact limits of that 
isn't really clear uh, because it's hard to imagine dividing everything we do into society into four strict categories. I do sort of sympathize with people who no ma- no matter that the the caste system in as it's kind of forged in in the time by isn't necessarily as oppressive as you might think when you say oh it's a dystopian kind of uh universe and there's a caste system here. Nonetheless the 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 sort of um slightly eugenicsy kind of um uh basically centrally planned kind of uh with, with eugenic elements determinism means that i can sympathize with people who would like to project a more uh egalitarian um alternative in the father anglais like i'm sure some people just have like essentially the billy elliot movie but with Tau cast instead, sort of running through their heads, where someone is born, I don't know, like fire cast, but he really wants to be a, a water cast dancer, and that's his kind of dream. Oh, absolutely! Like that—that's kind of what I was getting around to a little bit. That uh, I just meant to say that because it's so murky here, a lot of people see the ability in Farsight to break down those casts. I, I think I, I personally, maybe it's projecting on my part because it's so broad. I can see it as being something along the lines of the Tau are in canon very short-lived, and so it's more a matter of what their training and education consists of, while what the casts actually do is pretty varied. Like there are fire cast medics, uh, you'll you'll see in the Kill Team book. the The issue is because they're so broad, we don't know too much of what Farsight or the main Tau Empire is like in terms of uh, being in a cast and working like that. So there, there's definitely a lot of people, though, who see that Farsight specifically, one of his sub-commanders is not Firecast, but Earthcast. And a lot of people want to project that to say Farsight's uh, enclave is inherently meritocratic. And if you want to, if you feel in your soul that you are Watercast, but you were born Earthcast, then you can still be a a water cast there it's just my my argument or my concern would be because these casts are so broad and weirdly developed it might be possible to be an earth cast poet it's just what that would mean is you're living in a culture that's more focused on material thing hmm. see it's interesting you kind of talk about the more egalitarian take of a farsight when i i've always interpreted farsight as kind of more like fire cast is above everybody see like the way that i've always kind of read a bunch of this stuff is that Farsight's always seen as the fire cast as as genetically and just like through their actions is it superior to all the other casts. Like it which is kind of why he has his own enclave. It's like less of egalitarian society and more so that it's like the warrior class. It's you know, it's like respect our troops sort of shit. Uh I can I can definitely see that in so far at least that it seems like the not the fire cast abstractly but the council ruling them is mostly made up of his fellow lieutenants so it is technically a military junta yeah i don't think he's necessarily a firecast supremacist but i think he embraces the firecast mentality that it is he's very much the honorable warrior and i think he primarily values Honor in that sense, that uh, he he did put them down. He did the general Cincinnatus that he, he went away to farm for a bit. So fair game there. But uh, he, very much every time he's featured in the lore, he he very much sort of focuses on honor and military in a certain way. That uh, it gives very heavy respect to our troop vibes, even if I I don't think there's necessarily a cultural supremacist angle. 
I'll, I'll agree to disagree on, on this point. Uh, the one thing we didn't mention also is the Damon sword that Farsight has, which is quite possibly taking over his mind and has given him unnatural life, <laughs> length of life to live, <laughs> which is also kind of muddied the waters a bit. I mean, uh, to my knowledge, it's definitely, it's explicitly made him live a lot longer because Firecast, I, I don't know if there's an explicit number, but they don't live as long as humans do, especially in 40k where they have uh, magic drugs that can basically let people live to 300. Or you can be Cull and you live 10,000 years. <laughs> Pretty much, but um, Farsight's definitely had his life expanded by the sword. And it's kind of left left up to interpretation about how much the sword is controlling his mind. I think the more uncreative writers have had it that where basically it's just a daemon controls Farsight, and now the Farsight Enclave is basically like an offshoot of, daim- of da- following a daemon sort of stuff. Well, I think the more interesting takes about Farsight is that it's voices in his head sort of deal, and it's kind of like this constant battle, this struggle of wills between who is Farsight and who is the sword. But yeah, no, I, I think it's it's fairly nuanced uh, that at least from what I've seen, like he is able to put aside his sword and take a take a bit of a break and just farm, presumably not killing anything or trying to appease. I, I'd assume corn, but uh, at the same time, yeah, it's definitely an internal battle, and yeah, it, it leaves us with sort of a grayer picture of what it what both the Farsight Empire and their cooperation with the Tau is that I think it's very much uh, in the forums and in memes framed as Farsight is a revolutionary who wants to topple the ethereal, the ethereals in the caste system, when the reality and lore is more that uh, he might be under chaotic influence. He is, at the same time, while the ethereals don't like him, he is more than willing to work with them on occasion, even helping their expansion. Oh, yeah, he's helped... It- come in numerous battles to save the ethereal's ass yeah um and then finally he does he does have the caste system and it maybe it's more flexible but it's also never exactly said that it is so it, it's something where there's still the good and the bad of the tau i i really do want to project into the main i can sympathize with people who project this into farsight that i want to project it into the primary tau empire that there's different. There's four different cultures. They they have very different dialects of the main language, and you have the ethereals as well, kind of their own culture. But their role is to just coordinate between these. Uh, but at the same time, while there's some specialization within that, it's not necessarily so restrictive that you are born Earth caste peasant one six eight and you will die Earth caste peasant one six eight. That's the Imperium. There is everyone born in the Tau Empire begins as a uh, law, a Shasla if they're fire cast, a poor law if they're water cast, and then will rise up through the ranks. Even if you're a general's son, even if your dad is Farsight or your mom is a uh, shadow son. Yeah, it's it's something kind of admirable uh, in that sense. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said and there is some flexibility within the cast. It's just until we see... GW writing on it and going into detail, there's a lot of interpretation to be had. And in some ways, I kind of prefer that, that I, I do worry if we didn't have the a really good writer, it could just become these sinister ethereals or mind controlling everyone. And I feel like that would take away a lot of depth. Yeah. And there some of the writers, like there aren't too many examples of this. Some of the writers have tried to take away the Tao's noble bright 
aesthetic sort of deal. Like, I can't remember which one of the books, like one of them was kind of like, you have like a, a normal Taos story. It's like the, you, you kind of see the coordination between all the casts, like again, only in the realm of war. And then like the book ends with like the ethereal cast basically committing mass genocide of the prisoners for like no other motivation other than uh, Tau, Tau bad. And then of course we have the classic example, which is brought up, which is Dawn of War, which sterilizes the entire human population. People can't live with the Tau as being like, like being even a little bit better than the Imperium like to live under. And I think that's kind of very disappointing that we haven't been able to see that, that instead of like expanding upon these caste systems, like we've been calling for that they, it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to try to pigeonhole the Tau as just, you know, Imperium with battle suits. Uh, I mean, first of all, it is kind of interesting how much the Dawn of War ending comes up. Uh, I've heard you mention the the book that this happens in earlier, and I, I've tried to hunt it down because I, I want to read it and see the exact stuff. But Dawn of War is the one that keeps coming up where people bring up a non-canon ending in what's at best a sort of canon game in that there are characters who still who have been imported that uh, yeah. and like the Blood Ravens exist now in, in the yeah. main game. <laughs> And the, the Tau Commander actually is brought up as being sort of like the third one in between uh, yeah. Okais. And he's in the uh, Okais is also in the 8th edition codex. So most of a lot of Dawn of War is canon. Yeah, but uh, it may be just uh, that the planet itself was a fictional campaign. Definitely, if there is a canon ending, I believe they said the Blood Angels do win. The Blood Ravens. Ravens. My apologies. Yeah, if uh, there is an ending, then the Blood Ravens do win, and we don't even get the sterilization then, because like that's only under the Tau victory is under Okais. And even then, I, I will allow it that this is a population that seemed like they were compliant and then rebelled again. That I think most of the other factions in this game would have just utterly annihilated them. Whereas yeah, every they, other every other canon ending is basically a total exterminatus. Yeah. So it, it seems it seems a little bit more merciful even if it is canon. And even then I think the the phrasing is broad enough that uh there there is a part of me that would argue that maybe they were just evacuated in that it only says that the human population on the planet declined. But there is canon uh examples of the Tao saying all right, so the Imperium came back for this world where we assimilated you. Let us help you get the hell out of here because if the Imperium catches you, it's not going to be pretty. And the humans are that willing. Heretics, Xenos, etc. I, I, I would not be very inclined to join the Guevesa uh, on a frontier world and just sit there waiting for the Damocles Crusade to come for myself and everyone else. Like, Yep. Yeah, that, that, that is a big part, is that the Tau obviously number in the billions and billions, but however, that they do pale in comparison to the size of the Imperium, which like exists in the quadrillions. Always the people who hate the Tau love to point out that it's like, oh, you know, if the Imperium didn't have so many threats, they would annihilate the Tau, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest, if the Imperium didn't have so many existential threats, it would destroy itself. Like, they're... they're... Exactly. The bureaucracy, Gilliman, the High, high Lords of Terra, <laughs> the fascism... Yeah, I mean, so much of it is, I, I really, this is going a bit off topic, but I really did like the Dan Abnett, uh, Gaunt's Ghost, because so much of the backstory when they're not fighting chaos, they're just fighting other Imperial worlds that didn't want to pay the tie. Like, it feels like if we actually saw a realistic kill count for the Imperium, probably at least half the people they're killing are just baseline humans who 
aren't in league with chaos, aren't in league with the Tau or gene sealers or anything. They're just mm-hmm. killed because they want to rebel, killed because the some paperwork screwed up their tithe, or killed because I don't know, one of them had like a weird growth on his neck and the space marines assumed the entire planet was Nurgle, like get the old exterminatus. Exactly. Alrighty, so I believe that's kind of covered what we want to about the Tau in terms of the lore. Um, uh, we're going to kind of go into, like, how would you start this faction in the actual tabletop? So, Alex, is there anything you want to say about the Tau Empire? I just want to say that good Tau is a Tautology. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Robbie, final thoughts on the Tau? Not too much. I'd love to see more auxiliary models. I, I kind of wish they weren't called an empire. That I, I always say it's like the American, it's the Imperium translation. It's like the Americans calling it the Soviet Empire. Because I, at least I hope my own projection into it is that uh, it could be construed more as people who adhere to a philosophy. And yeah, I, I think there's a lot to analyze from a leftist lens in the Tao in terms of lore. Um, I mean, they're probably not the ideal society for humans, but they don't exactly, they, even in lore, they don't force their caste system on humans and other auxiliaries. So it's interesting, and I could talk about them for days. Unfortunately, uh, I, I don't think uh, we, we really want to eat up that level of bandwidth. <laughs> I, I, I think, actually, j- just before we end, sorry, um, we have been giving Tau like a glowing review so far. I think one thing which is worth mentioning is you, you mentioned that they're not, uh, you don't like them being called an empire, but it is true to say that they are imperial. We, we must let the people know the truth. Well, you know, while they will take the diplomatic approach first, uh, it is also true that there are many examples where they will just decide, okay, I, I'm sorry, we know better than you, and we're going to, um, uh, through military conquest, acquire and uh, subsume into the Tau Empire. Now, for the most part, we can argue that the Empire is inherently a better place in the galaxy than almost anywhere else. But if if one was to like pull an example, like for instance, the Interrex, which uh, uh, you know are featured in the Horus Heresy, um, who are a, uh, a similarly kind of uh, cosmopolitan and uh, positive sort of human society, which um, has Xenos among it. Um, it, it's an interesting and I don't an underexplored part of the law. What would happen if the Tau came face to face with a like an like a utopian society, uh, which didn't want to assimilate for whatever reason? Well, they'd annihilate them if they don't accept the greater good. They annihilate them. Can I be very glib here? Um, I I mean, if expansionism isn't necessary in K, I will be very happy to start collecting Interrex models. Unfortunately, <laughs> didn't. Yeah, turn yeah, out no, well. exactly. That's that's kind of the other thing. Yeah, I, I I would I would argue though as well. While Tower expansionists, and I'm more than willing to concede that there aren't that many examples of them just straight up being aggressive and taking what they want. Uh, for the most part, it is very gradual diplomacy, and they don't really seem to keep anyone as a lesser state within, like, the definition of an empire is one state imposing on another, or one nation imposing on another, and that doesn't usually seem to be the case with the Tao. For the most part, if they can get what they want through trading, uh, and a lot of the actual examples in lore seem to allow that in one way or another, they'll do so. Sometimes they'll take direct action against the Imperium, but at that point, you're you're invading Nazi Germany. I, I'm not going to cry tears for the, the poor, innocent Nazis. Yeah, they usually just kind of like take away the fringe <laughs> the fringe elements. 
though they do kind of have the Tao have a, like a manifest destiny sort of thing going on, which is a little not too leftist friendly because like they, they have literal auras spheres of expansion when the ethereals are just like, okay, well, the 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 the, the, the things have spoken to me, uh, and it's now time for expansion, which can be through water d- diplomacy and that kind of stuff. But they are also bringing out the fire cast, and they will annihilate entire worlds if they don't comply with the greater good, because they are expansionist kind of first and foremost. So it's a mix. I can I can keep arguing the nuances here that uh, for the most part, the only example I can think of where it really was. The other side absolutely refused to comply, and the Tao just kicked them out of an area. Was in the Farsight book with um, some kind of spider people who haven't appeared otherwise in the lore. Uh, mm-hmm. For the most part, uh, there's it seems to be largely trade agreements that if they can even comply to the greater good by just not being jerks and not holding on to a resource that's absolutely necessary for survival, it seems more like uh, they're expanding into space. That they that there is. The, the virtue of a sci-fi setting as opposed to an old world or a traditional world map is that there's a lot of planets that could be unsettled by sentient beings and they could just be moving on to those. It's, it's not necessarily the case that every planet they expand onto during these spheres was already occupied. Yeah. Uh, that is kind of one of those things that we would like more inform- information on because as far as the codexes give, it's basically military conquest. So, uh, yeah, so this is going to be like a little bit of a news section. This is going to be a, a start, yeah, starting with the Tau, since we've we've talked about the Flesh Eater Courts and the Skaven before we kind of did like a little thing. But I, I want to actually talk about the, the tabletop itself. So this is going to be more casual collection. Um, I'm not really a, a tournament player. I mean, like, I'll, I'll play in leagues or tournaments, that kind of stuff, but, like, it's not my primary form of joy that I receive from it. Uh, Robbie, would you say that you're, like, a tournament player, competitive player, casual player? Um, I I wouldn't say a tournament player. I, I mostly just play locally uh, when there's an event on or I, I see something online. I, I've gone into one or two tournaments, and I did all right. Uh, for the most part, it's just something I'll, I'll take out and play once in a while. Honestly, it's it's a mix for me that I, I both enjoy playing with it and I enjoy painting it, but they feel almost like completely different hobbies sometimes. Like it is very disconnected the joy I feel one and the other. So and so we're gonna get to the actual collecting of the model sort of deal. So um Robbie, would you agree with me that uh, while not the most competitive, I do think the Tower Star collecting said is a very good deal, and I would say you could probably get away with getting two of them. I'd say in the long term, that's something pretty good. What I, I've recommended uh, for people who want to start on Sig Marxism is, first of all, collect Tau or else you're not a real leftist. Second of all, um, start with the... I, I tell everyone to start with the Pathfinder uh, box because it, it was around... What, what would it be in American? It was 25-ish here, and that's pretty cheap for it. Uh, it's uh, it's about 40 over here for um, the Fire Warriors. So it's something very easy to start with. It gives you a lot of the things you need to begin with uh, in Kill Team. You can have just from that box 100 points of 100 points to do a basic Kill Team. So I, I'd say start with that and then maybe get the Stealth Suits to give you more variety in Kill Team and then move up to the Start Collecting box. And then you could certainly stand to get one or two of those down the road if you really want to if you really enjoy the game and you want to have a full scale 
thousand point or two thousand point army. Now, for our hobbyists on a budget out there, um, what are some tips you can give for kit bashing? Because uh, obviously, heroes because of GW uh, logic cost more. Um, HQ choices, I should say, in Forty K, cost more than um, just standard troop choices. So, what are the kind of the bits that you can utilize to get your money's worth from kit bashing? Um, a major thing I see a lot is different uh, fire blades and dark striders, which just take uh, your basic uh, fire warrior or pathfinder. And for a fire blade, essentially, if you give them something that makes them stand out, like a very visible base, and have them holding uh, the sergeant's knife in their hand, the uh, chassis knife, uh, most people let or, or like or like a green stuff cape because like capes are actually pretty easy to work with um maybe we'll do like a more like hobby tutorial sort of deal maybe we should do like that's like part of our youtube channel that'll be something to think about later but yeah there's plenty of people who just take their fire warriors and just kind of uh mix that up sort of deal i i remember now i i mostly use the the actual fire blade bits for this because i i wanted to make it a human in the out of the conversion but uh I, I just spruced up the base a little bit as well. That I, I use a few extra plastic bits from the Imperial, from what I had from my Imperial Guard kits, and even having that without uh, without a cape, even if it looks essentially like a fire warrior just holding their knife, I think you'd get away with that as long as it was clearly much more decorated than the other ones, at least for casual play. Certainly, and I yeah, it, it's all depending on like your opponent stuff. But I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have a why they would have a problem with that. Uh, so with the new price increase coming up on Riptides, uh, uh, Riptides are kind of an iconic unit. They're infamous to say the least in the Tau Empire. Should should a casual player get a Riptide, or do they deserve to get put into a locker for buying a Riptide, let alone three? It's an odd thing myself. I think part of it might just be transporting it, and part of it might just be that it is such a common thing. But the belligerent that I am, I really avoid them. And I think that kind of makes me uh, a heretic, so to speak, on the, the Tau boards that uh, I, I put up lists and I was told, without a uh, Riptide, this isn't a feasible tournament list. Despite that, I, I did pretty well uh, for my games. That I think there are genuine alternatives, but Riptides are... If you if you want to start and you want to have a very simple but powerful army, you're going to be able to find a lot of advice on how to make a Riptide work, and you're going to be very able to make them work if you want to use them. So they're, they're great, but uh, just a little hipster aside here, you know, hammerheads, devilfish don't get enough love. They definitely don't. They definitely don't. They're really fun models to build and paint. Yeah, uh, I, I should. I'll come out of the clearing here. Um, I took down to a tournament, and I very much it was it was a tournament. Uh, I very much did run a triple Riptide list. <laughs> uh, they are good. They are fucking good. If you give them the uh, Assault Burst Cannon and then Smart Missile System, as well as Target Lock and Advanced Targeting System, holy god, they do work. Um, it's going to be a very slow build, since their GW is increasing the price by a fuck ton. For I'm going to guess because of how popular they are, which is just clear uh, taking advantage of that. But if you can get a Riptide... I would say get a Riptide. Uh, I also recommend getting Pathfinders as well. Pathfinders are really fun for Kill Team if you're going to do that. That way you can give them like the fun weapons like ion guns or rail rifles and stuff. But if you're doing for more casual stuff, they serve as good uh, marker light bots. 
So get like a box or two of those, you know, if you want to get interested. Obviously, if you're going for 2,000 points, get two. If you're only going for 1,000 points, just get one. They serve as good marker light bots for them. So a lot of people have talked to me about doing marker light drones as well for them. So, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of the drone models themselves. I know the shield drones and uh, all the other drones, like with their emergency protocols and intercepting shots are very good, but I don't find them as a personally fun thing because it adds a level of non-interactivity with the opponent. I personally don't leave the house without at least one shield drone on my person to make sure that nothing hits me. It's been very useful. It's just blocked any... Uh, any... Blocked the chuds. Yeah, basically. If, if one of them tries to get clever and throw a milkshake at me, the, the shield's just going to come up. Uh, the cement milkshake, yeah. <laughs> you just throw the, the shield drone. It intercepts it on a 2+. plus. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I actually really, I like the drones. I find them really endearing. My personal favorite would be gun drones, just because uh, they're really good in kill team. I, I resisted them for a while, but uh, yeah, they're they're fun and they're good, and they let you roll fistfuls and fistfuls and fistfuls of dice, even if most of them are going to miss. They will miss. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually mostly play Sakea, which again is less optimal, but because of that, uh, I really don't need to worry that much about marker lights. I, I can re-roll one for every miss, so if I've got uh, one Firesight Marksman and one or two Fireblades, I'm, I'm really sitting easy. The, the opponent is always lit up like a Christmas tree for me, which is a nice feeling. Yeah, there's no better feeling than when you've got Focus Fire, five, <laughs> five uh, marker lights on them. Getting that uh, uplink marker light stratagem, you just it's aces. That is a great feeling. But I, I would reiterate here, you said grab a few Pathfinders, and I, I think that's worth it. If you are just getting into Warhammer 40,000, Kill Team is the way to start. Yes, and agreed. the best thing you can get for a Tau Kill Team is the Pathfinder box. It's it's better even than the, the Kill Team box or the Start Collecting box if you just want to play Kill Team out the gate. Because mm -hmm. it'll give you 100 points. Uh, you can get it pretty varied. That They've got a couple different kinds of drones in there. And as you as Sam said, you can load up uh, special weapons on them. So there's variety. They're good models. They're, they're new models, too. So they look great. Yeah, they're new models. They look great. There's variety. And they're interesting. And then from there, grab uh, a squad of stealth suits. And that'll give you a lot of variety in Kill Team. And from there, you can start looking at the main game. I, I think you mean if you grab stealth suits and kill teams, you'll make a lot of people angry at you. Because, <laughs> oh my god, facing stealth suits and kill team is just like the worst feeling. It's like, oh, I enjoy never hitting. <laughs> uh, I haven't had that much of that experience. Like, I think most people are just stuck hitting on sixes anyway in kill team often. No, this is true, but just like even more so. You're just like, holy shit. All the minuses in kill team already. Uh, let's see. What, if I had to make one more recommendation... Unfortunately, the alien auxiliaries that do exist for Tau aren't very good. Crute aren't very good. Vespids aren't good. Crute shapers aren't very good. Narlocks aren't very good, etc., etc. As cool as they are, and as much as we talked about, you know, uh, the, how, how cool it is that it's like a unified front, they are unfortunately garbage uh, in both Kill Team and the tabletop. So obviously, this is about conserving as much money as possible. The most competitive and that way you actually feel like your units will do something is a pure tau force so lots of fire warriors lots of battle suits lots of commanders xv88s riptides all that kind of stuff broadsides definitely is the kind of most more optimal way of playing tau 
perhaps if you do want more diversity on a budget, uh, what you can do is, first of all, uh, when you buy a set of Fire Warriors, it does come with 20 shoulder pads. So you have the option between the Breacher and the Strike Warrior pads. That means every time you buy that box, you have 10 extra ones. So if you want to just buy some Cadians and stick that pad on the shoulder, that will essentially give you double the Breachers for, or double the Fire Warriors for essentially one and a half times the price. And if you really want to get cheeky, you can do that with Croot too and just dare your opponent to say that uh, they're not Fire Warriors. They are Fire Warriors in their heart, good sir. Or Matt. The Cadian box is going up. There is no good human box anymore. Uh, fucking GW. Just buy third party. Yeah, just just buy third party hum- uh, guardsman bits. Don't buy the Cadian box. If you're going to go, if you have to go GW, get like the Neophytes and then replace their heads. Uh, Go to Anvil, go to Victoria Miniatures, get the buy just buy your guardsman wholesale and then add the uh the tau bits that uh Robbie mentioned because Cadians are just simply not worth it on a dollar to dollar things. They're old models, they've gotten mold lines out the wazoo. The the resin bits, like while you are dealing with resin, they're just much better models and they look amazing. If you want to go buy a uh pound store and just uh grab some soldiers that are roughly the same size <laughs> exactly it's it's basically what the cadians are uh kind of generic army boys I, I i love the little kill team i have of them but i am i i cannot argue in any sense that they're worth about two quid a pop they're just insane amount of prices um that's kind of our little uh stark list uh Go a little bit more in depth, you know. Maybe tackle the more competitive side, tourney side. You know, uh, you know. Like, send us an email at podcast at sigmarxism.com or reply under our episodes. You know, we we try to get to them within like twenty four hours and stuff. Let us know what you thought about this a little bit. And Alex, you had like a little bit of a proposal, which I was a tad hesitant for, but I'm interested. Uh, something bringing up the mortal realms and the Tau. Uh, what were you thinking about, Alex? Okay, yeah, so uh, just quickly as a little thought experiment, it could be fun to um, to, to have a l- just a little back and forth about. How would Tau fit into the Mortal Realms of Age of Sigma? Now, I, I know the um, uh, the different levels of like technology, what was stuff like the Skaven and the Caradron Overlords, as they currently are, means that it's not inconceivable that a, uh, a technologically advanced race like, like the Tau uh, could sort of fit in this, the the setting without completely breaking the uh, the established sort of verisimilitude. Um, but I just thought it'd be interesting as well to like consider the um, the the interactions that this would have, like who they side with. And obviously, now that the impetus for expansionism is is not as strong, since they're not like having to constantly defend against a um, an expansionist empire and are more likely to ally with some people, how they would. Yeah, what are thoughts about that? Well, I I mentioned actually in the run-up here that uh, it reminds me of a game that uh, is slightly more obscure than I thought, apparently. Endless Legend, where it's a a mix of a fantasy setting built on sci-fi technology that's kind of been lost. And one of the major factions is essentially a group of shipwrecked humans that have been there so long they've forgotten their origins. 
Uh, they're called the Vaulters, and the vault that they live in is the the crashed spaceship that they forgot the original function of, and just view as sort of a fortress home. And in that sense, I think there's you could have something very interesting uh, in terms of what a Tau faction would look like. Just uh, their great city is a broken manta. Um, I think uh, for how they would fit in, uh, probably they'd be broadly aligned with order. I, I don't exactly see Tau throwing in their lot with chaos. Uh, or destruction and... or death. <laughs> exactly. Don't really they're, see they're... that either. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I think they, they might go a little bit more isolationist. That uh, I do think that they're very focused on the idea of the greater good. And while they're open and willing to trade, I can see them being a little bit like the Sylvaneth that... Uh, I don't see them readily incorporating themselves into uh, Sigmar's sort of societal structure or adopting the worship of Sigmar on a wide scale. But they they might be interested as well, though, in actually having the any watercast diplomats that they had in there sort of go in and not only talk trade, but also talk about their own beliefs and creating a community through that trade and through themselves in other free cities. Yeah, I, I broadly agree with that, um, because I think that the big difference, and we've spoken about uh, the both somewhat true and also erroneous uh, comparisons people make between the Sigmar-aligned sort of protagonist faction of Age of Sigmar and then the Imperium in 40k, the big difference being that um, you can argue that... It, the Stormcast and, and Sigma kind of represent a, 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 like a in both a good way compared to fascism and a bad way compared to leftism, a liberal worldview where they definitely libs. The Stormcast yes, exactly. are uber libs. Where there is uh, there's imperialism that goes on, but not necessarily military conquest of autonomous, non chaos aligned kind of uh, factions who wish to remain independent. So it because the Tau would not be facing an invasion from Sigma because yeah they're, they're like they're just just chilling d- different people but they're not aligned to like chaos and trying to destroy everything else. Um, it would likely, as you say, be like a, uh, a possibly standoffish at first but trade relationship. And um, I think you're correct in, in in them kind of not definitely not assimilating into um, the, the the sort of. Uh, Sigmar's Empire, because as you say, like it's it's even less accountable than having it ruled by imperial uh, the ethereals. It is like a yeah, there's a god king, so that's obviously a step down. <laughs> a literal god, literal god king, not just like a pseudo god king, <laughs> literal. I I think uh, it's almost an interesting thought experiment of what would the Tau be like if they didn't uh, immediately or. Not so immediately, but eventually run into a very large-scale genocidal empire as most of the known galaxy. That uh, I think there there probably would be a more subtle and diplomatic approach as opposed to relying more on for, force of arms. But uh, there there would probably be a very strong interest in spreading their belief in the greater good, maybe more as a, a religion insofar as uh, the or not a religion, but as a philosophy insofar as uh, the Sigmarites are, are able are able to worship freely as long as it's not in the Gastra chaos. Mm. I think that they, they would probably get along with the, the free people pretty well, because the free people are kind of sort of like a Tau thing, where they're like a coalition of races working together, mainly just to survive. So I could see the Tau throwing their lot in with them, maybe not... Taking to the uh, Stormcast Eternals too friendly, though I can imagine maybe a few 
uh, Tao wind up in the realm of Vizier, you know, kind of in that whole little thing, because that's an actual place where you can live. But I could see them throwing their lot with uh, the free people because they already have like their guns and their muskets, and maybe they trade technology a little bit. Counterpoint: Stormcast a Tauno, and it's like a, a golden armored uh, <laughs> Tau. are good in melee now. Who who's laughing now? Well, I mean, clearly, clearly, the answer is that uh, they would assimilate uh, the Sigmarites and simply introduce them as the Stormcast. God damn it! <laughs> God damn it! But like, I think Tau naivety is kind of the most like. If Tau weren't so naive, I would legitimately find them kind of a dull uh, narrative a character. But I really enjoy how how they've got this. I don't want to say relentless optimism, but there's an element where they're just kind of walking into situations with a um with an almost sitcom like yeah yeah like there's just like the, the literal well it's kind of ironic that it's called the the damocles uh, uh, because like, they'll walk into a room with a literal sword of damocles hanging over their fucking heads they'll just be like hey let's let's negotiate um which would which would create some pretty funny interactions with like <laughs> i can see the edeneth deepkin taking a jehovah's witness approach to the tower where instead of like raiding them for souls, they like knock on their doors and it's like, you got any spare souls? And and the town like, oh yeah, you know, we might have some lying around. We can have a look for our uh, for our elderly, see how they go, and then just gradually. That that reminds me of um, of, of a story that was in the eighth edition codex. It might have been an earlier one. I, I, I was going to bring this one up. That uh, it, it basically happened. It basically happened, Alex. With the with the, with the Drakari, yeah. Uh, so basically, the the Tau worked with the Drakari because they they helped them out and stuff. They were like, "Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> by the way, we just want like a few workers to to help out with." And they're like, "Oh yeah, sure, you know, take some uh, take some Tau." And then of course they fight with the Drakari later, and they're like, "Oh, they, look at all these racks and uh, grotesque abominations." And then they realize that the the Tau that they had sent over basically were experimented on and turned into flesh abominations. So this has already happened. <laughs> Not to be super pedantic, but I think what it was was literally like the Drukari saved their ass by accident once, and so the the Tau watercast diplomats reached out to them, uh, the the bloodthirsty pirates who who basically call everything like the murder whips, the electro murder whips, and were like, yeah, you seem really nice. Uh, want a cultural exchange? Yeah, but either either way, they basically a bunch of Tau get turned into flesh abominations, and then the Tau are horrified by this, and then the Drukari go give the middle finger and disappear into uh, yeah webways. And after that, all Eldar were kind of persona non gratia for a while until the Tau realized that there was different factions. But it it is it wasn't just to be a pedant; it's just the idea that I love the idea of just sort of like almost a school exchange trip. The <laughs> the poor cow happily packing their bags and hopping on the school bus over to fucking Kamara. <laughs> and then it was like, oh no, the homunculi just absolutely <laughs> destroy them. Uh, oh, there's a lot of good stories. Would you like to try some of the lunch? Ah! Ah! <laughs> uh, there's so many good stories in the Tau Codex of just kind of like them being like totally naive or just like their battles and stuff. We we could probably do a whole podcast episode of just about stories within codexes, honestly. Absolutely, but I I would also argue though I think sometimes it does get exaggerated. Like I think the Tau react in the way, at least initially, that you you would have kind of like Starfleet from Star Trek act, yeah. and it wouldn't come off as overly naive. Maybe a little bit idealistic that they they really want to resort to force as a last option. 
you see it not so much that they're overly naive. It's something you'd see uh, from the Federation and Star Trek. They really do want to keep Force to a last option. It's just the setting of 40K is such that not murdering on site in not every case that I do think is interesting that sometimes it does work out for the Tau, but in at least half the cases you're you're better off to shoot first and ask questions later from a purely self-preservation angle and the tau don't do that they they shoot as the last option as opposed to the first yeah they always always send the water cast in first which has resulted in many water cast dying <laughs> in comical fashion yeah I, I i feel like they may possibly have a more dangerous job than the fire cast. Yeah, because they, they get sent in with no weapons, and they're just like, okay, well, talk to this new species, and then usually they get blown up or set aflame or other psychic horrors. In fairness, that's much like pundits in, who are the, our water cast in real life. I mean, pundits get, like, milkshake, they get deplatformed. I mean, they, they live very dangerous lives. Okay. <laughs> On that note, this has been the Sig Marxism Podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Robbie, for coming on. Uh, well, if we if we need to talk more Tal, maybe we'll do a Fire Warrior video game review or something like that. If you're interested in listening to our podcast, feel free to go find us on SigMarxism.com, where you can find all of our episodes uploaded. We are also on I- iTunes. Give us a review there. Spotify, SoundCloud, which we just got back on. Uh, we also have a Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram account, which is at SigMarxismPod. Uh, we also have an email account, which I gave a shout out to earlier, which is podcast at sigmarxism.com. Send us an email. Uh, if you do, we'll read it aloud in the show. Send us questions, uh, comments, etc. We'll give it a read. Or just scream out loud outside your local GW and hope people nearby get the message. Yeah, just hope that uh, we're at that GW. Uh, you never know. You know we're not going to dox ourselves, but uh, just keep shouting at friendly local game stores. Our network of KGB agents will pick up your message. Uh, we are also join the Discord. Join the Discord. Jo- subscribe to the subreddit, uh, the Sig Marxism subreddit. If you m- message one of the moderators, uh, they will align you to the Discord where you can shit post as much as you want. Uh, Robbie, any final thoughts? And thank you again for coming onto the podcast. How surprisingly good from the first perspective and the memes you get. Maybe not the ideal leftist thing, but it is something that, as a leftist, is worth digging into the lore with an open mind. So hopefully you found this interesting as a starting point, even if it's just me giving some very broad apologia for them. All right, sounds good. And as always, especially with these price hikes and uh, Games Workshop going full mask off, nationalize Games Workshop. Nationalize Games Workshop. It's a means of plastic production. She's an uptown girl.